Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Ben, let's cut to the chase. This is a question that may date the episode, but there was some breaking news this morning that I need to interrogate. It's very serious. Okay. I think you told you sort of teased that this might be happening when we were in Vegas for our for our excellent Vegas Greatest Gen Con show. Yeah. Uh, tickets still available for many other dates. But you recently got a toilet that shoots water at your butthole. Yeah, I did. Tell me all about that. <laughs> I uh, I got a uh, I got a thing you you unscrew the bolts on your toilet seat and then you put this thing in between the toilet seat and the rim of the bowl and then screw it back in and you affix a hose you fix a couple of hoses and then and then it blasts water at your butthole now in in like this old house step-by-step vernacular like are you using Uh like a hose splitter off of the water line or is it like yeah oh interesting yeah they it it ships in a uh, in a box with all like everything is you it need. discreet packaging ben yeah it's marked not a thing to spray water at your butthole <laughs> why uh-huh. is a why is a clean batome such a thing that no one wants to talk about or state a preference for i don't know i've ne- this is my f- i i bought this thing on a total lark i have never bidet before in my entire life but you've been to I- japan I've been to I've been to Japan. I've been in hotel rooms in Europe where the the thing is there, and I look at it, and it looks at me. You don't avail yourself of the washlet when it is available, though. Like you don't even use it when that's your primary toilet. So far, I haven't. But now I'm like all all ass blast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I feel significant uh, improvement. Not only in cleanliness, but also in like I don't know. I was getting like uh, I was getting it was it, it was too abrasive for me, right? My, I got a sensitive hole. <laughs> <laughs> so say we all, Ben. Yeah, and I was buying expensive, really nice toilet paper, and it it was still too abrasive. I noticed that when I've been a a semi frequent house guest at your home. Uh, you're you're a two if not three ply household like you oh yeah you bring you bring the not pain we're running a classy operation with ben, the uh, with the paper when i have been lucky enough to stay in a nice hotel i am still shocked that even nice hotels have one ply toilet paper yeah that's, the fuck uh, is up with that no yeah you you'd think if you were spending north of 150 bucks for a night in a room that they would really pull the stops out, W slash R slash T, ass care. Yeah, but, but instead you get a door tag that says you don't really want to have your room turned over and, and, <laughs> and towel laundry done every night, do you? Yeah. They're asking I for mean, more. You want to make a green choice, but sometimes you're like looking at that terry cloth and you're like, that looks a lot better than this paper. <laughs> All right, so back to the to the topic at hand. Ben. Yeah, <laughs> I want to know exactly how this works because I, in my time in Japan, I I 
had the extreme joy in using a Toto washlet for like two weeks straight. So is there well, like, is like a, a, a remote control thing? Or no, like- this, this is markedly less complicated and high tech than uh-huh. one of those. Uh, there's not a, there's, there's just two knobs. One of them is uh, the one that makes it go. And the other one that is to dial in water temperature. Cause Where are connect- those knobs though? They're like, they're just kind of like down to the right hand side. Just, uh, just kind of offset. Oh, like and, uh, like if you if you were sitting on an ejection seat, that would be where right, these knobs yeah. would be. Well, they're not. Yeah, they're 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 facing up. You can like look down and see them. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, you're not you're not groping around in the uh, unspeakable <laughs> regions of the toilet. <laughs> it's got you connect it to the hot water line and the same water line that is connected to the sink, so that you can get the temperature just right. Oh. So that it doesn't uh, shock your booty with a, a cold blast. Yeah, you don't want to shock that booty, Ben. No. Unless you're Shock G, I guess. <laughs> shock B? <laughs> I guess Shock G stands for Shock That Great Big Booty. <laughs> shock That Grundle. So you're dialing it in with the, with, with the dials. Uh, yeah. Like, does, uh, does time... Is time also a variable in this? Like, is there an on and off button? No, it's uh, you turn it on and uh, you uh, you move around. You make sure it, it's uh, it's done a thorough job, and uh, and then you turn it off. See, that was you know? that leads me to my next question. Like, you are the one that moves, not the stick that shoots the water, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. I uh, I find myself shifting a bit each time, but uh-huh. uh, but not not. You know, it's not an inconvenient amount. So, how would you descri- describe the uh, the stream of this thing? Is it like, uh, like it's very like, vigorous, like water pick, narrow stream, or like uh, a, a wider hose like stream? I've never used a water pick, so I don't, uh, I don't really know how to compare it to that. But um, well, I it's think maybe a, a little, a, a little bit more vigorous than a like a faucet. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would describe it. You know the massage setting that some shower heads have? Oh, so it does that? It's like a it's It's not like it's not the the rapid fireness of it, but it is the like, you know, it's 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 blasting the the bits, you know. Yeah. It's got to it's got to have some English behind it or it's not going to get everything. So, uh having done your bit of business, uh do you <laughs> do you use dry paper to dry yourself after? Cuz I imagine yeah. you get you're standing up with a with a with a wet butt. Like what do you do yeah. with that wet butt? No, I, do, I, I I I pat it dry with like a, you know, I'll, I'll fold the the TP over 3 4 times and pat myself dry. Are you a wrap your hands style TP oh, person? Oh, come on, I'm not an animal, Adam. <laughs> I'm a I'm a fold. I'm not a wad. I'm not a wrap it around the hand. I'm a fold. You know, I thought our our greater viewership weren't monsters either, but a greater than insignificant amount of them are seat recliners. So I'm uh, yeah. I I just don't know how many of them might also be wrappers. Uh, Listen, Adam, it's uh, you never recline your seat. You never touch the screen. <laughs> you never say bye before leaving a party. You never say bye before leaving a party. You fold the toilet paper, <laughs> but you do not wrap it around your hands. Yes, and now we have a fourth rule of greatest generation. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't need to be a rule. I mean, do whatever. Yeah, do what's right for you. I mean, where... where... That, that doesn't affect anybody else. I, yeah. I think that fold is probably the most paper efficient method that's out there. 
which is why I would personally advocate it for as a conservationist. Yeah, you know what? You're totally right when you say that the rules of greatest gen are rules that have an effect on other people and not just yourself. I think that is... It's about being a good citizen. It's about engendering goodness in the world. Yeah. Yeah, well put. Uh, Is there anything else that you would want me to know about this brand new toilet seat? Because I can't wait to come over and visit and and give this thing a proper break in. Oh, yeah. I think it's getting off easy with you, Ben. It may may meet its equal, finally. (laughs) (laughs) I I am the bidet and boss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, every time it blasts my ass, it says the princess is not in this castle. Is that all you got? (laughs) Yeah. Um, one thing I wasn't totally sure about when I ordered it was whether it was a uh, an electronic thing, because I was trying to like do the math on plugging something in that also is connected to water and my toilet. Right. And uh, you know, there's a there's a outlet that's close enough that it wouldn't have been a problem, but that had me scratching my head. And it's a totally it's it's just a plumbing job, and it's an easy plumbing job. Like I don't really know shit about plumbing but i i managed to do this in less than half an hour now when you're installing a brand new shit washer (laughs) you want to carefully unbox the package sent completely without labels so that your (laughs) privacy is maintained be sure to thoroughly read the instruction manual before installing and keep a terry cloth towel around in case any water leaks out of the pipes as you're unscrewing things Improper use of a shit washer can result in discomfort and rectal bleeding. <laughs> We've treated this anus <laughs> with a polysporin product that was recommended by a dermatologist. Like with all messy home ownership matters involving fecal matter, I like to lay down a dark colored tap. <laughs> uh. That's, this is great. This is great pod, Ben. I yeah. think, uh, you know what? If only we had I, an... I feel like an- a lot of these Marins have been about my butt lately. I, <laughs> that's not wrong. I don't even have the most interesting of the two butts on the show. You know what I wish? I wish we had an Amazon referral link just for this product. <laughs> All purchases of the Benjamin R. Harrison stamp of approvaled butt yeah. washer. Well, uh, here's the thing, Adam. I... I have heard this product advertised on podcasts, and that, I think that's why I don't want to say the name of it out loud, because I don't want to give them anything for free, oh, but well, I would be very excited to to take them on as a sponsor, because I really enjoy the product. Will you, Jackie and Lori, show me the name of this product? Oh, certainly. And you'll laugh, because it has a funny name. <laughs> That's so dumb. That is so dumb, and it is shocking they haven't advertised on this program. Yeah, we're well-known butt-talk-abouters. Wow. Well, uh, I think once this episode drops, I think their their Twitter feed is going to be filled with our friends of DeSoto asking them (laughs) what the hell. (laughs) I was thinking I would uh, send a note to to our friends at Maximum Fun and see if... um, I, I mean, I don't really think that I don't know how how the advertising part of our show works. What I do know is that when advertisers approach Max Fun, they then take the take the product to us. We usually try it out, uh, yeah. and then we decide, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down whether we want to do business with those people. 
And a couple of times we've tried things out and decided that it wasn't a good fit for our show or our viewers. So sometimes it's impossible, right? Like you can't, uh, I, I can't hire a, uh, a, a coder using LinkedIn because I want to make sure that LinkedIn works, but, uh, I can, I can't try blasting my butt and <laughs> I'm willing to do that for our viewers. Are you trying to staff a position and also blast your butt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude uh the greatest gen boys can't be bought i think that's our point yeah we uh we're happy to uh to share the air with somebody that uh that does something we think is good but we're not gonna we're not just taking money from anybody i think i think we all we are all for technologies that seek to uh disrupt the bathroom yeah <laughs> <laughs> And especially technologies that seek to disrupt the shit that is clinging to my anus hole. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm so glad that we went in, into such depth. Yeah. I think our, I think our uh, viewership will appreciate that. Well, we have something else to go into depth on, Adam. Something very deep in space. It's true. Let's get to it. It's season three, episode two, The Search, part two. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Odo is home, and there's a bunch of Odos there. We're Mr. Marcus. Marcus Ben, backing up just briefly, they do the recap (laughs) thing that they always do. Yeah. uh, in In two parters. But they didn't show something that shocked me. They never showed the explosion of the galaxy class that happened in the last episode. Yeah, that was uh, that that galaxy class starship was expendable. You'd think that'd be a pretty big deal. Wait, was that in the was that in the search part one, or was that in uh, in the end of the last season? Oh shit! I might have gotten that all wrong. I mean, I. But was there stuff? It's part of the arc, though. It's like it's, it's like a three-episode arc, but it's two official bookend yeah. episodes. And you have the footage. Like a recap showing that is going to get people excited about going back and watching the previous episode. If you have the footage, why don't you show it as much as possible? Yeah, it's a good effect. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Odo Odo is on this dark planet. There's a bunch of Odo-looking people that goop up out of the goo. You had an accident. What does that mean? Goo! And they're there to like to show him his homeworld. The tack Odo takes is one of extreme curiosity, which Kira has thoughts about. Stop interrogating these people. She she thinks he's uh he's being too questiony, too much like a an investigator with these with these kind folks. But and, that's also uh, like true to his character. In a way that I really like, like there are parts of this episode where Odo is positively childlike in yeah. how willing he's able to emote or show excitement or whatever. Right. And uh, and I kind of like, I, I think this is this is a good truth for him. I, I think this is how he should engage this moment. I agree. There's a lot of shots of him just kind of wall-eyed, like looking around himself with wonderment and... He even uh, verbalizes it, too. He's like, uh, you're telling me that I'm part of this Golden Lake society and, and like, I'm, I'm a link in this great link. 
But no, if I've this been lake living... is golden, would uh, I mean the entire water cycle on this planet be golden? Do you have golden showers, for example? <laughs> that was a long walk from A to C, but I I was with you the whole time. I made it. I think yeah. I, I think I stuck the landing. I think you did too. Well, right in. Did I stick the landing? Let me know. Yeah, right in, uh, right at Benjamin R. Harrison, hashtag golden showers, hashtag joke. (laughs) (laughs) That'll work great. Yeah. Not only is Odo acting ambivalent about his new circumstances, he's also like describing how hard it's going to be as a solitude person to become part of a group, which is what they're kind of inviting him into here. Yeah, it's like an introvert being invited to a concert. It's like, I like the music, but hey. This female changeling leader uh, gives him a golden handshake to demonstrate what it feels like to be a part of this great link. And Odo comes pretty hard. Small price to pay for the best sex I've ever had anywhere. This woman is amazing. Yeah, it really does kind of read as a, uh, hey, try this and like rubs him to completion kind of kind of a vibe right kira doesn't really know what to do in this scene (laughs) it's it's an awkward scene i mean she's she is she's there for him she's trying to be as good a friend as she can be yeah um she's she's really outnumbered everybody there looks like odo there are even extras that don't have lines that got put in all this loaf and she's just kind of you know, following them as they slowly walk around through this spooky forest, the, you know, uh, kind of interjecting her, herself when she can. The OG changelings have a slightly different look than Odo, though. Like, the the OGs look like they were in a tanning bed and were wearing, like, tanning bed glasses, mm-hmm. whereas Odo's <laughs> complexion is, is far more fair. And he's evener too. Like they, right. they really have it dialed in for him. Yeah, I wonder if it's that golden lake effect that it has has some sort of impact on how they look facially. Like it's weird because it's just their face. Like their necks and hands look just are, as fair are, as Odo. Right. Yeah. That it's hard to see too because it's it's so dark on this planet. Yeah. Uh, but occasionally you catch a glimpse of of their other skin and it's like yeah that doesn't quite match does it yeah they all have the same hair as odo so that doesn't appear to be a choice yeah i mean like that's weird right because we met the doctor that worked on him in the bajoran science center and he had the same hair as odo yeah are they doing this to make it like oh yeah like we don't really care about haircuts so we'll just do what you did i think there's a fair amount of retconning happening at this point like we're we're kind of hitting the reset button on Odo by having yeah. by putting him through this interaction. It's a series of very weird and awkward interactions and um and yet it's like it's very exciting for him. I mean, he <laughs> like he 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 comes all over the place and then we get like a just a the the childish grin of uh of a very excited man to opening sequence yeah we've never seen this look out of odo before or the actor who plays him it is uh, yeah he doesn't do a lot of smiling you know yeah like the most he laughs is when he goes like huh you know it's 
like if there's a difference between a confident smile and a vulnerable smile, like this, this skews far more toward the vulnerable end of the spectrum. It'd be sort of like if Batman discovered that his parents weren't actually dead, <laughs> but he's like in the bat suit. Mom, Dad, what great news! If you think that's a surprise, <laughs> I need to tell you that we are also brothers. <laughs> You almost broke my back in that fight. But yet, I can't stay mad at you because I'm so overcome with joy that my parents are alive. (laughs) It turns out we were both born in our mother. (laughs) Alfred is going to be so excited that his paychecks start up again. In this world, uh, Alfred hasn't been paid since the Waynes died outside the opera house or whatever. There's something I need to tell you about Alfred also. (laughs) Alfred and I are married. (laughs) (laughs) No judgments here, Bane. Perfectly legal. Let's just keep Kavanaugh off the court. My main concern is mostly who's going to clean up my house if Alfred leaves to go live with you I've lived a life of privilege and frankly never learned to straighten up after myself (laughs) shameful though it is I'm a man with no domestic skills whatsoever We fade up after the title sequence, and Cisco and Bashir are uh, in in a pretty bad way. They've uh, escaped the destruction of the Defiant. We heard from Odo in the last episode. The Defiant was adrift in space when they when they bugged out. So it doesn't seem like most of the crew would have survived. We still don't know what happened to the rest of the crew. The Doctor's asleep. Cisco is kind of drifting because life support is not in great shape. And uh, amidst this, they get some bangers dropped on their little shuttle and uh, the the doorknob on the back of the shuttle turns and opens up and there's Dax and O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Hale and healthy. So uh, good news. Did you have any idea what they were in? I mean, Cisco mentions that they're in a shuttle. They're in a bunk bed. No, it is not. It looks totally different from a bunk bed. A bunk bed doesn't have a window in the back. This this doesn't have a window in the back? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. It's got the flip-up door of a bunk bed. I don't know, man. Something looks weird about this. So I looked it up. I looked it up, Ben. This is a new shuttle pod. They don't show us the exterior of it, but... It's a shuttle pod. It's It's a bunk bed Mark II. It's an updated bunk bed. It is. It is, but don't try to tell me it's the same as ever because it's got it's got the weird back door and it's got those Recaro racing seats up front. It does have a it does have a nice cool seat. Yeah. Doesn't look easy to get in and out of. The seats are really close to each other. Yeah. The bunk beds have never been known for their comfort. No. They're uh they're mostly just for like getting to and from you know, for uh for cruising Kirk past his new ship kind of kind of jobs. Yeah. Yeah, they're greeted at the back door by 
a fairly bubbly Dax and O'Brien. Didn't did you uh did you feel like their vibe was a little off from jump? I mean they're they're very excited to see the commander and the doctor because they've been quote looking for them for days. We've been searching for you for days. They say like, hey, like you're gonna be so excited to be back on the station because things are going great. Yeah. It's about this time in the episode where the credits have come to a close and uh, we're given a great bit of news ourselves. It's not just Ben Sisko uh, getting who is to be excited about what is to come. It's also the viewer (laughs) because it's Jonathan Frakes listed as the director of the episode. And it's been quite a while, I feel like, since we've seen a Frakes. Sure has. Captain Riker's never lost. A couple of things I think you're going to notice going forward if you haven't seen a Frakes episode before is uh, he is a really big fan of the camera sequence. Like, he is moving the camera from from one to two during conversations quite a bit. And, uh, And very subtly at the same time. Like, he's... I really feel like he's gotten the hang of of how to block and shoot a scene to make conversation dynamic. I think it's a tricky episode from a directing standpoint because there's kind of an A and a B story, and the A story is really Odo. Mm-hmm. And Odo is, I mean, we cut back from Shuttle to this. Like, Odo is, spends most of his time in, like, a garden, <laughs> on this planet surface, like alternately interacting with Kira and the other changelings and wanting to, you know, understand more about his origin and having the information just dripped out very, very slowly. But it's, it's a very slow paced a story and the B story is crazy pants. It's, there's so much going on and there's so many, you know, there's, 10 different characters with 10 different motivations and, you know, new information popping up the entire time. It's a, I feel, I feel like a strange episode in how much, uh, how much focus it gives to the much slower and more contemplative a story than the very exciting and momentous seeming B story. Huh? I looked at it exactly the opposite. I thought the a story was the dominion story and the B story was Odo. I never I mean, I, considered I, that uh, that it would be any other way. Until the end, I guess. I say it that way because it starts with Odo and Kira and it and it really like it doesn't ever let you forget that that's the main thing that's going on, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a given roughly equal time which I kept I kept wondering about, you know, not knowing the twist ending that was coming. I kept wondering like why why do we care so much about Odo wanting to like shape shift to look like a rock and then understand yeah. what it is to be a rock, you know? But yeah. It, but it's important. There's a lot going on on Planet Bucket and it starts off with this uh, exposition that the female changeling leader gets into with Odo and it really makes you re-examine your solid normative vocabulary, right, Ben? <laughs> Like, oh yeah, they're using yeah. a lot of uh, of that kind of terminology there, and a lot of disparaging comments about solids. To be honest, that I took great umbrage with. Well, I mean, like she says that changeling was a, a initially a slur, but they they made it like an empowered slur. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, like then Kira says it, and she's like, "No, no, no, no you can't say it. <laughs> Only we can say it." 
like they start playing they start playing like one of the popular songs from Planet Bucket and then like everyone's singing along and then Kira yeah. accidentally the Kira. says the lyric and then they're and like no somebody presses pause and it's like Kira like we really like you but never do that again <laughs> Uh, she does yeah, the I same mean, she, thing when they do karaoke later. Like she picks one of the one of the other popular songs of the planet and like yeah. does not go well in the room. Yeah, it's uh, it's very cringy. There's a reason why on the on the monitor with the lyrics it just shows a bunch of asterisks. <laughs> I mean, like this is never something that Odo has considered the idea that he would meet his people and they would have like really strong kind of chauvinism surrounding people that aren't like them but they do they use solid like a slur and use changeling like it's empowered and are extremely you know like they lead with how judgmental they are about anyone that's not like them they don't really accept the idea of their hypocrisy here either because they chalk it up to age like we've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years We've been persecuted and killed. We have every right to hold solids in this amount of contempt for that reason. Right. It feels it feels like they have arrived at the decision that this is how it's got to be because of uh, of earned experience. Yeah. And and it's it's also, you know, they they want to be isolated like they they want to they they want to be left alone. So like when Kira says like, "Hey, I'm gonna go, uh, you know, shoot up a flare and see if anybody from the Defiant can find us," she's like, "No, you're not gonna send any transmissions because we uh, we can't have anybody finding us." And she paints a picture that they feel terribly vulnerable. Yeah, there's like the self awareness of their vulnerability, but there's also like vulnerability transference happening between her and Kira because. It's not the first time that, like, cult technology is used either verbally or physically on the surface of Planet Bucket. Like, the right. idea that, that we have this protected domain here where everyone agrees with and plays by the rules we've set up. But there's also the very cult-like thing about not communicating with the outside world and there being punishments if you do. Right. It, like, and also, we all have the same haircut and outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it really sets up uh, a feeling of discomfort throughout for Kira. Like, she's got to embody that discomfort. To her character's strength, though, she doesn't really betray that feeling at all. She remains comfortable and confident throughout in a way that that uh that i don't know helps the story as much as it could she's she's in danger and i feel like it would be okay if she acted like it it's in her body language a little bit but she's also trying to not make odo meeting his people about her yeah it's such a conflict right it's an inner conflict too yeah and i think uh to her credit she you know, she's not the type to hold back when she has a strong opinion about something, but in this case she is because she wants this to be special and right for Odo. Yeah. Back on the station, the commander comes through the airlock still super dusty from his ordeal, and who is there 
but Admiral Necheyev. Admiral Necheyev and Valerian canopies. It's Admiral Necheyev. Are those Valerian canopies? Admiral Necheyev. Well, the canopies in my ass. That's the Ritz cracker and chopped liver. <laughs> she is very pleased to announce that the founders have boarded the station and are already in negotiations with the Federation and several other important uh, inter interstellar powers from the Alpha Quadrant about a peace treaty. Ben, this is the first time I've ever seen this episode. And so my notes become more and more unhinged as we go. And this is really <laughs> where it starts for me. Because I'm like, I'm relieved that Cisco was rescued and he's back on the station. But I was immediately like, what the fuck is up with Necheyev saying that this was a successful mission? Like the Defiant is adrift out there. <laughs> uh, a galaxy class was destroyed and in the intervening six days like they've suddenly called it a great success because everyone's negotiating that felt nuts to me and the next scene is Cisco meeting Borath this Vorta who he's told is one of the founders and Borath line is like hey like you uh, you did something really heroic you risked your own skin to bring a message of peace to us um on your warship with a cloaking device. And uh, we, we really, uh, we really appreciate that you did that. And it's like all, all of the text of what he's saying is uh, we're really excited to be negotiating peace and you should be commended because you're the one that made us see that peace was possible. But the music is like getting more and more dramatic. And he's like walking circles around Cisco and like the lighting in the, part of the room that they land in is super gloomy and and spooky <laughs> and we get like we get like cisco eyes to commercial in a way that is like oh so peace is bad in the context of this episode yeah really fun passive aggression by by borath here two things happen visually in this scene that i really like and one of them is that circular conversation that's shot yeah. with uh, with borath walking around cisco and uh, and I really like where two is, like where where Borath ends looking uh, at Cisco's profile, but also looking at the camera. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. The second thing that I really liked was how when Cisco walked into the room, Borath was doing that thing with his hands that's like the okay sign, and if you look at it, he punches you in the shoulder. Like <laughs> the way he's holding his hands at his belt buckle is it's like either framing his junk or like he's doing he's. Like, I don't know how your eyes aren't drawn there immediately. He's, a, he's like holding the rock, like, uh, like Dame Dash. <laughs> like he, it's like walking into Dame Dash's office. Yeah. Yeah. Weird look for him, but I guess, you know what? He doesn't have like a belt loop to, to tuck his thumbs into, and he doesn't have pockets. Like all difficult conversations, it's kind of hard to know where to put your hands, right? Like he's he's yeah. awkward with his hands. Yeah, I mean, uh, he doesn't know the customs around here. He's got a big old pile of hair on top of his head. He might he might feel a little uncomfortable. Cisco has a conversation with Necheyev about their plans for diplomacy. And the question that he articulates is, can we trust them? The thing that he, does, that he doesn't say is, do we have a choice? And I feel like that pervades the rest of this episode's story as it pertains to the treaty that they're about to sign. Like... Everyone is talking about what a great deal it is for all parties, but no one really discusses 
No one really makes it clear whether or not they have a choice in the matter because everything's happening behind closed doors. There's a strange bit of confidence that Necheyev has about the circumstance throughout that is very unlike Necheyev. Yeah, what is she, Admiral Hansen all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah, you don't <laughs> like your admirals as confident, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, um, the, way, the way it is suddenly above everyone's pay grade, what's going on, is very unnerving because you... you you usually get to be in on the story on DS9, right. and uh, suddenly we're not. And and I think that that's a that's a fun bit of writing, like that all of our characters are sort of like living around it as everything changes, but they're out of the loop. Yeah, yeah, which is good, right? It it helps you to uh, empathize with Cisco's situation, like you're seeing what he's seeing. And yeah. not seeing what he's not seeing. One character that we can trust never to be out of the loop is Garrick, and uh, he makes an appearance in this episode. Doctor, welcome back. He's goofing around with the doctor, saying, like, I've been missing you at lunch, but also sort of implying that maybe this situation with the treaty is deserves some scrutiny, you know? There's an old saying on Cardassia, enemies make dangerous friends, and I fear the Dominion will make a very dangerous friend indeed. I feel like Garrick might be this series' Guinan. You know, he shows up at interesting times. His counsel is as spiritual-sounding almost as Guinan's because Garrick can't speak directly on whatever he's talking about. So he has has to use... uh, a visual language or a metaphorical language to get his point across in kind of the same way. Like they serve the, they serve the same function, I think. And that's becoming that's really clear. True. Yeah. And, and like the thesis that he's writing for is this is going to change everything and not necessarily in a good way. Right. And this is the first of many scenes where they're walking around the promenade and there's Jem'Hadar guys walking around the promenade too. Like it is a, yeah. it's a mixed station right now. It's uh, everyone's around, and uh, they they bump into the uh, the Romulan lady from from the uh, Defiant, and she's got like a green bandaid on her hand, and they're like, "Oh, what happened to you?" And she's like, "Well, I was trying to get into those negotiations because the Romulans have been kind of have been kind of blackballed, and uh, I'm not I'm not psyched about it, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm in a position to say that in fact if." something gets signed and the Romulans don't get to look it over and say yay or nay on it, uh, we're going to come kick all your asses. I would really love to read the Benjamin R. Harrison script punch-up to that scene. <laughs> yeah, if, I, if, I, if my words came out of that yeah. Romulan's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Not psyched about it, especially. <laughs> I've been living in Southern California for too long. It's really fucking rubbing off on me. I went to the beach this weekend. Everybody in their flip-flops and their backwards ball caps just... Oh, that sounds nice. It's, it's relentless. <laughs> <laughs> their comfort is relentless to me. Yeah. You ever it's, get uh, comfortable out there at the beach? I'm comfortable. I just don't... I, I just don't... I don't do it in that way, you know? You don't have the chest nubbin anymore, Ben. This is this is the time. This is the time to take your shirt off and get out there. I got bad news for you, Adam. The chest nubbin has never fully gone away. What? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I it's, apologize uh, for making light of the chest nubbin. 
Yeah, check your nubbin privilege before you make comments like that. I'm sorry for being non-chest nubbin normative. <laughs> I, th- I feel like I'd have to have it like excised surgically if I wanted to have it fully fully cleared, but that seems like total overkill. And yet it stops you from uh, from taking it off at the beach, though. Oh, I, it didn't stop me from taking it off at the beach. I'm, All right. I'm not uncomfortable about it. I'm just... I, there's much more about my upper torso that is embarrassing than that. <laughs> okay. Subcommander Tarul is pissed that the Romulans aren't at the table to sign the treaty like every other Alpha Quadrant heavyweight, and she's not wrong about this. Like I totally right. I totally vibe with her her deal. Like this really smells like a divide and conquer tactic, doesn't it? Especially having been invited to run the cloaking device on the Defiant, like one would assume if you're her that it was going to be it was going to mean a seat at many tables. And one would assume that Necheyev would be sensitive to that. Yeah. Like I it's hard to imagine that Necheyev didn't have a lot of involvement in arranging for a Romulan to be on board their warship with the piece of Romulan technology, but suddenly, like, she doesn't really give a fuck about what happens to the Romulans, like, after they've done them this amazing solid. Cisco runs this right into Necheyev, and Necheyev is so adept conversationally at judoing Cisco's protestations here that like I really thought this scene was super well written like everything yeah. Cisco says as a concern she takes and uses against him like the point being is that he's concerned about the Romulans being shut out and she's all for it because uh, if they're shut out they'd never have a strategic chance against the Federation Alliance again like, it she's- really kind of feels like TNG era Necheyev in yeah. this, which is cool because like what she is advocating, like if you take one more step back, doesn't make sense. But in this scene, like she's so committed to the truth of what she's saying that it feels authentic and real, you know? If this treaty is signed, and I'm confident it will be, we'll never have to worry about the Romulans again. I think she's a good actor. The actor who plays Necheyev? Yeah. Yeah, Natalia... Nugglich is the is the effort I'm going to give that. I think that's right. Did I get that right? Felt, felt good to me. I don't know. Yeah, she's great in this ep. Natalia Nugulich. Nugulik? Yeah, probably Nugulik. Ankylosaur. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. A fucking Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. Back on planet Bucket... Uh, Kira's trying to send a message home, and she can't. She's in the shuttle trying to do so, and there's some sort of dampening field happening, and the computer tells her that it's coming from inside the planet. And as she's realizing this, Odo rolls up and is like, I do not understand this coursework that I'm taking right now, (laughs) because turning myself into a rock does not teach me anything about what it's like to be a rock. And he's like, He's sort suddenly like, matriculated at Changeling University and he's in Shapeshift 101 and he's like, God, just being in like this huge lecture hall with 300 <laughs> other Changelings, it feels so impersonal. It's not the kind of education I'm used to and I don't really feel like I'm getting a lot out of it. <laughs> Why am I paying for this? Yeah, he's really not getting the office hours he requires from the, the lead Changeling. Why am I putting my family into debt? <laughs> <laughs> 
so that I can sit up here in the top row in the nosebleed, let us listen to some crusty old professor who's trudging toward his retirement spout off about some topic like this. It's, I mean, this is not unlike the first reaction of anyone who talks to a spiritualist at any point. It, there's a real, <laughs> there's a real like, what the fuck kind of attitude. Like Odo's, Odo's willing. He's willing to turn into a rock. He's willing to, yeah. to try out being flowers, but he's just not into it. He's just not that into it. He's GGG at this point. Right. He isn't, he isn't finding out that his kinks are, are latent. He's like, yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm happy to give it a try or whatever, but it's not for me. He's confiding in a friend that uh, that this lifestyle might not be for him. Yeah. He talks a little bit more to, uh, what's, this lady doesn't really have a name. Yeah. Uh, Can we call her Change Leader? Sure. Until we come up with something that's actually good? <laughs> I was confounded by this too. All she's ever referred to as is female changeling. I mean, she gives them a little history of their people, and they kind of seem like they were like Starfleet at some point. The Great Link tells us that many years ago, our people roamed the stars, searching out other races so we could add to our knowledge of the galaxy. We went in peace, but too often we were met with suspicion, hatred, and violence. The Solids feared our metamorphic abilities. So we were beaten, hunted, and killed. So they've kind of changed strategies, and uh, their exploration strategy was take a hundred babies and fire them off into the galaxy, and then like wait for them to come back. And that's also a Will Riker strategy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. He has his own planet bucket that has its own similar level of liquid floating over the surface. Which reservoir is deeper, the uh, planet bucket or planet Riker? <laughs> Odo was expected 300 more years from now. They didn't know about this uh, this wormhole when they did this, this project. And it, it kind of, maybe one of the big plot holes in this is at the beginning when she's initially going to link with Odo, the, the other changeling that has a line is like, don't do it. it, it you know, <laughs> it's not right. And he, and she says, he's been away too long. And then suddenly we find out that he was supposed to be away for far, far longer. Yeah, that's weird. I don't understand that. Yeah, that guy's really trying to prevent the hand job. That she gives him. <laughs> I thought we had a thing. We're not. I thought we were exclusive. What was that conversation? You didn't even wash your hand first. <laughs> you were just cooking steaks. There's cult like terminology being used throughout. Every conversation she has with him feels that way. It's a very manipulative feeling. It is, uh, and... That's what happens when you have a leader in control of, of the information that you get, though, right? Like, like she controls the amount of information he gets. He, she also controls the amount of joy he derives from it. It's almost drug-like. And she's promising that the joy, like, goes up exponentially from here. And... It starts even... at handjob. Right. <laughs> and uh, And the next step is apparently like come together and form giant liquid butt plug because that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. 
are they all coming all the time, the changelings? Like, is that lake just a bunch of people in persistent tantric ecstasy? <laughs> Tell you one thing, you drop your keys into uh, the golden lake, you better just let them go. <laughs> They're a goner, man. <laughs> What would happen if Kira like stepped into Golden Lake? Like, would she would she walk on top of it? Would she sink? Like, would it be up to the people in Golden Lake to allow her to sink? Boy, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe a a little dinghy would form around her. <laughs> they would make a boat for her. It's so weird. Boat with googly eyes. Is there a current to the lake? I, I have a hard time grasping its size. Like, oh, do you yeah. think that there are, you think there's a million people in there? Is it an ocean? Well, if there's no moon around this rogue planet, there would be no tidal flows, I yeah. guess. Oh, is that part of the definition of ocean? I don't know. <laughs> uh, don't I, I write don't it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you hadn't even asked the question. Yeah, we're just not that curious. Uh, Getting not curious with Benjamin R. Harrison and Adam Pranica. Yeah, our hair is way less well <laughs> quaffed. <laughs> Kira comes back from fiddling with the uh, with the controls on the shuttle, and Odo is not in the in the garden anymore. So she just kind of announces her plan to the air, <laughs> thinking maybe he has taken the form of one of these lamps or trees. Yeah, they give her a little short oneer here too. It's just one long pull. Yeah, and uh, this is this is John Frakes at his best. The pullouts. <laughs> yeah, a, a really sensual slow pullout. Yeah, you you almost can't believe that he has that much control, but he does. <laughs> believe me, I I cannot believe he has that much control. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we saw those lamps in an episode of TNG. Yeah? I couldn't p- put my finger on it, but those those lamps that are like a collection of yeah. pipes that are like cut into the shape of a sphere. I tell you um, one thing, uh, on the wide shot in this scene, you see that, that, that monolith in the back looking almost exactly like the monolith they stole from planet Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's um, similar, uh, similar shape, similar hieroglyphs on it. Yeah. Not great opsec on Kira's part, though, to just tell tell the uh, the wind her plan. Cause yeah, that's a any of silly. these objects could be a changeling, right? And uh, and so she uh, she leaves and she goes down into this cave where the uh, the interference uh, that is stymieing her uh, her radio broadcast is, and she finds a door and. What is confounding about this is that why would you need a door if you are goo? <laughs> it's the real what does God need with the starship style question. It sure is. Ben, you asked a question earlier that I think bears repeating. Like on a planet full of shapeshifters, can you trust anything you're seeing? Yeah, I, uh, I kept expecting them to do something with that in this episode and they didn't. It made me paranoid throughout. Like I kept, whenever Akira would sneak away to go to the shuttle or or attempt communication, like I expected the shuttle to be a goo person, or I expected her <laughs> tricorder to be a goo person, or and, then, and she presses a button and it and it turns back into a person and goes, ah uh, ah uh, ah, uh, you yeah. didn't say the magic word. <laughs> Please, 
this hack and crap. I think it really serves the paranoia in a in a fun way. I like that part I, of the app. I agree, and I I think it's like consistent within the logic of the episode that it never went that way. Yeah. Back at Quark's bar, Quark is giving away free drinks, not usually his way, but uh, he's very excited about the peace agreement between the Federation and the founders, and uh, and it's uh, it seems like spirits are pretty high in Quark's bar, especially because he thinks that the Jem'Hadar are going to be great gambling customers going forward. He's a smart enough casino owner to know that it's impossible to lose money if you run a casino and, yeah. he, and he sees like these gem hadar people filling up the place he's like you'd have to be an idiot to lose money running a casino <laughs> at this point this is just the best possible business to be in it doesn't take a rocket scientist to make money in this business yeah except for sometimes if you're a casino owner and you like catch somebody counting cards at the blackjack table you have to go take them down to the locker room and hit them with a pool cue a couple of times and if that guy's a gem hadar that is a that's bad business you know yeah because uh there's an uneasy truce happening on the station right now like while it's a great thing that the gem hadar are there and spending money in quark's bar they are also doing that thing that meatheads do in bars, which is run into people and then blame it on them. Right. It's a real like, what's going on, bro? What did you Why'd do you that bump for? Into me, bro? What's up, bro? What's, what's up? up, bro? What Where are you at, at bro? Where you at? Are you, are you here, you at, bro? bro? Poor O'Brien gets thrown through the bar for this. He's uh, he's fresh off of a tooth extraction. Yeah. This scene does not go great, and uh, Bashir, to his credit, is into the fray when uh, the, uh, the Federation security guy... What do we call this guy? Uh, two milk, two toast? Yeah, yeah, this is Eddington back. Eddington comes in, and classic rent-a-cop really, uh, really lords it over the doctor. And his whole point is the Jem'Hadar don't know our customs, so we just have to let them beat us up until they learn. It's super fucked up, his reasoning. Yeah, and it makes you. I mean, I mean, speaking of the paranoia, like this guy is, you know, a commander level officer, and he makes it that much scarier to be in the Federation. He's really got Remick levels of intensity, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does have strong Remick vibes, and yeah. and that guy in a friendly uniform with a friendly face telling you something terrifying yeah is exactly what was so scary about remick and it's what's scary about this guy yeah i mean the uniform is supposed to make you feel safe right that's a great can point. trust this guy because yeah. of the uniform yeah back in cisco's quarters uh ben and jake are having dinner and it looks like a fucking bacchanalian feast in there <laughs> it made me wonder like if you had access to a replicator would you be feasting for every meal and how hard would it be not to do that right is it like going to a buffet where there's like oh there's pizza but there's also king crab legs and there's pasta and there's tacos and you like never have to pick a specific cuisine or anything like that i think i'd have the hardest time with this in the future that that it would be the idea of as much of and the best of whatever you want. Yeah, you would really need an ass-blasting situation <laughs> at that point because 
You wouldn't be able to control yourself. I'd need. I two, wouldn't either. I'd need two washlets, one for just the first <laughs> stage and one for the second. <laughs> this dinner gets uh, interrupted by Dax, who uh, comes in complaining that she's been transferred to the Lexington, and then uh, Cisco hears about the situation in Quirk's bar over the radio. So he kind of kicks down the door to the office that Admiral Necheyev is working out of, and she's in there with Borath, and Cisco is fucking pissed. He goes totally nuclear on them. I want to know what the hell is going on! Up until this point, like, the shit stream that has been hitting him has been, like, kind of at a, at a steady drip. But this, right, he's, uh, he's just turned it to the first, first notch on the ass blast. The Dax transference really, really puts him over the edge. Yeah, and if he thinks that's not bad enough, what Necheyev tells him is that the Federation is pulling out of the Bajoran system and uh, the Dominion will be taking over. Pretty terrifying thought. The treaty has already been signed and they thank him for his help in making that possible. That is such a fuck you. <laughs> it really is. Guess what? The thing that you wanted to never happen and work to prevent happened. And also, it's your fault. Thanks. Brutal. Yeah. We really appreciate all your help in making the worst thing, the worst possible outcome go down. Yeah. It's a, uh, a real Jill Stein situation. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't we investigating Cisco's ties to Russia? <laughs> this is so dispiriting. Cisco like sort of slumps onto the black sofa of both pornography and a terrible treaty. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "Is this your first time uh, doing this kind of thing?" It's uh, yeah. This is maybe the biggest, uh, the most shifty tone shift because we cut right from this scene to Odo being really excited about having just been a bird for a while. <laughs> Yeah, there's some emotional whiplash here for sure. The air currents beneath my wings, the exhilaration of soaring above the treetops. But in a fun way, I, I yeah. think. No, yeah, because it's like this episode, maybe more than any other, the tone shifts feel really planned and intentional. Yeah. And when it cuts back to this, you're like, how the fuck are we going to have Odo stand here and flap his arms like a bird and talk about how great it was to be a bird? Like, what does this have to do with anything? This is not important right now. A lot of, I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Renee for this scene because like on paper, this Oh, are you on a first name basis with <laughs> Renee Aubergenois? Renee Aubergenois! <laughs> <laughs> We were good friends in the French Resistance. I bombed a cigarette from him. <laughs> the cigarette pack was the size of an American cotton. <laughs> you know, because French cigarettes are very, very long. <laughs> we like to smoke longtemps. <laughs> <laughs> The idea of him standing there flapping his arms as if they were wings and talking about how great it was to be a vulture moments ago, like yeah. on paper, that doesn't work. And that is no, a it, the fucking laugh line uh, with a lot of other actors, but he sells it. He really does. And like, and this begins like the episode at this point, you know, maybe we're 10 minutes from the end of the episode and Planet Bucket like 
is a real slow burn, but the the cutting back and forth really steps up at this point. They do a great job with that because all of that cross-cutting really heightens the tension. Giving parallelness to the action without it seeming that way. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if they left the pieces together a little longer, if you spent a little bit more time on Planet Bucket before cutting back to Deep Space Nine, it wouldn't telegraph how these two stories are starting to like merge toward each other. Another thing that's interesting is that compositionally things are starting to change too. And the camera intention is hidden with character intention because, you know, normally when a character is under great stress, you'll see a lot of handheld shots. But it's not just that kind of character stress taking place here there is there is the idea of one's reality being challenged like visually that gets paid off later like there there are a lot of different visual threads being pulled here and i think it's really well done agree cisco uh, is like saying having like a a little goodbye with garrick that he kind of begrudgingly agrees to he's been told that uh his days are waning on the station. Garrick, very complimentary of what he did here. And uh, as they're having this conversation, they're sort of subterfuge interruptus when the Romulan lady sprints across the promenade, running away from Jem'Hadar, who shoot her. There's a little Star Trek fight with the Jem'Hadar. And Cisco gets arrested. And then a bunch of his little buddies have to go, uh, have to go, you know, break him out of jail. They go... Uh, it's a uh, Dax, the Doctor, and Garrick. They they uh, they go find Eddington sitting in Odo's office, and uh, and they hypo spray him out of the game, and they they break Cisco out, and uh, the plan is announced that they're gonna take a runabout, which has been heavily armed, and uh, head toward the wormhole. And the plan is we're gonna close the door, like the Dominion has signed this treaty that we can't abide by. The Romulans are now teamed up with the Bajorans. All of this appears to be a prelude for war. So we're going to go shut the door and take the Dominion out of the equation. It's a plan that makes total sense to me. It's a plan that makes total sense to everyone because they're practically finishing each other's thoughts. (laughs) Sentences in this scene. And so that cross cuts with Odo and Kira busting this door open. We get shots on the runabout where they get up into space and like like Garrick has been taken out. Necheyev is on the FaceTime like begging begging them to stop and they torpedo the wormhole at him. Attack pattern theater, Mr. O'Brien. Hard port. Yes, sir. This is fucking spectacular. Ben, if I were to ask you, after seeing the wormhole for the first time, how many torpedoes would it take to destroy the wormhole? What would your answer be? <laughs> like 50 torpedoes fired by multiple ships at all at the same time? <laughs> Probably around that, right? It's hard to tell how big the wormhole is, right? Because like, it kind of seems like runabouts are scaled in, in it the same size as starships. If they were only ever three torpedoes away from losing the passage to the Gamma Quadrant at any given time, there would be a ship parked there running defense, right? A really nasty ship. A ship that makes the Defiant look like a pipsqueak. It is shocking that that's all it took. Well, is that what the station is there, though, for? Because the station can phaser a torpedo. 
But they don't hear. I mean, for reasons that I guess are made clear later. It's three torpedoes in that wormhole. She dead. We shoot more torpedoes on this show whenever we reference torpedoes. <laughs> That's true. The wormhole explode, and uh, we go through the door on Planet Bucket. There's a couple of Jem'Hadar waiting for Kira and Odo. And that Vorta guy from uh, from signing the treaty is hanging out in there. Yeah, it's and, Borath uh, again. Yeah. Borath is the, holding out his hand in an okay sign. The entire crew of the Defiant are on schismed tables. They've all been schismed, Adam. <laughs> this is a very matrixy scene, isn't it? It really is. And he's like, oh, yeah, we were just uh, doing a evil experiment on your little friends. We've uh, uh, run a simulation in their brains to see how far they would go to prevent us from taking over the Alpha Quadrant. Seems like they would go pretty far. <laughs> Our reports seem to indicate that, I mean, is this right? Three torpedoes? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the simulation version of how <laughs> vulnerable the wormhole is. Now we don't know. The entire episode has been a lie, Adam. Yeah, it has been a lie. One other thing that comes to light here is the changelings are the founders. The, fu- the founders are the changelings. Yeah, a change leader comes into the tunnel and she's like, yeah, that was uh, we've, we've been the founders the entire time. Which means Odo's a founder. Right. He's very important on this side of the wormhole. This is something that Odo has a real problem with because upon being told of his true heritage, he rejects it. He's like, no, I'm I'm on the side of justice and truth and not on the side of, of genocide, which is what Planet Bucket is on the team of. He's right. like, I they, can't get with that. They draw an interesting distinction between justice and order. Yeah. And the changelings, the founders are obsessed with order and control they're they're plutocrats you know like they want a system that continually enriches and protects them and you know it doesn't really matter what that means for everybody else and that just sticks right in odo's goopy craw he's not into it there is no amount of powder that can ungoop odo's craw <laughs> odo sticks up for his buds he's like you're going to let these people go. And and female changeling leaders like, no. And Odo's like, you're going to let them go or you're going to do to me whatever you do to them. And she's like, well, uh, changelings don't hurt other changelings. Like, that's one of the points of order that we subscribe to. And Odo's like, ha! Gotcha! <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you'll have to let him go. And she's like, God damn it, you're right. Yeah, the the second point of order that the changelings adhere to is you never recline your seat <laughs> on an airplane. Even the founders know that. Even they are that cruel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would personally put that as the number one rule, but the the founders are, you know, they they've got different priorities, and yeah. that might be the the most evil thing about them. They care for their own more than anything else. So they everybody gets woken up. They uh, beam up to the Defiant, and Kira sticks around, uh, 
with Odo to provide a little bit of moral support as he uh, takes one last walk with change leader on the surface of the planet. Yeah, it's a strange kind of truce that they have in this moment because she's responsible for the imprisonment of all of Odo's crewmates, but also like she has the key to his story. Yeah. And he doesn't necessarily want to do anything to prevent that story from being told. It's strange. She's like, hey, listen, like you you think that the values that these people have brought you up with are your values. And what I'm here to say is you can keep thinking about that, but eventually you're going to think back on that hand job I gave you <laughs> and things are going to change in your mind. Yeah, she also has a little bit of a veiled threat. She's like, uh, I have no plans to go to the Alpha Quadrant at this time, but when the time is right, uh, that's a place I'm going to go. Yeah, and she melts into the sea, the, the lake or whatever it is. She fell into that liquid lake of yellow. <laughs> she did, Adam. She went down, down, down till that yellow got higher. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did. There's a lot about it that didn't seem like it should work, but did. Hmm. Um, I mean, like, it's usually so unsatisfying to find out at the end of an episode that it's been a lie the entire time, you know? And uh, this one managed to make that work. And, like, some of the parts of the episode that seemed boring or immaterial, in retrospect, make a lot of sense. And uh, I thought that that was a really exciting tack for, for the show to take here. I think the parallel could be drawn between this episode and Future Imperfect, in a way, which yeah. was which was a very Riker-centric episode about whether or not his reality was truly real in a way that pushed him up into a moment of sacrificing everything right. up to and including his life. Uh, and I like that episode, too. The thing that really sticks out to me about this one is just how Swiss-watchy it is in, mm-hmm. in how it functions. Like, as right. soon as it turns the corner... Uh, after after Tarula shot, it is just full on sprinting through the last fifteen minutes in a way that I really enjoyed. Like yeah. this is paced differently than most other Star Trek episodes in a way that that makes it, I think, great. I think this is one of my favorite DS Nine episodes. Wow! Well, that is an exciting ruling. Adam, do you want to see if there are any Priority One messages waiting for us in the inbox? Got to do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is for the friends of DeSoto. It is from those guys. It is from Kendra Zweik. Now, this, this is a name that I've been thinking a lot about, because having just been to Poland, my pronunciation <laughs> of this name would be Zvich. But, uh... No, maybe it's Zvich. Zvich. It should include a pronunciation guide, is what yeah. we're trying to say. <laughs> uh, she's in there with Raz Claudia, Brittany Brown, Michael Moneybags Ferguson, Sam Traeger, uh, Sam, who we met at Star Trek Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jason Gann. Or Jason Gen. Or Jason or- Jen, I should say. <laughs> Jason yeah. Jen. 
Got to get some pronunciation guides. Yeah. For this for this group. Uh, message goes like this: Clam beer, the official porch beer of rascals. <laughs> get drunk on clams and tell Plavim to go fuck himself. Clam beer. It sounds gross. <laughs> it is gross, but you'll love it. Hashtag rascals. Wow, it has been a long time since the Rascals have thrown a shot across Plevim's bow. Sounds like we got Michael Ferguson uh, to thank for this. That's great <laughs> ad copy, by the way. Well written. Yeah, fun stuff. Adam, our next Priority One message is from Molly Thompson, and it's to Stephanie Powell. And it goes like this. Stephanie, sorry we couldn't make the show in October. Pack your Jim Shimoda shirt. I'll pack my Jennifer Gray slash Che, and we will rock the Minneapolis show together in November. Yeah! Happy late birthday to the coolest daughter and mom of many nerds who introduced me to the greatest gen and beyond. I doubt there's another millennial in Anchorage, Alaska. And then there's a W, just like a little W at the end here. I'm not sure if that was typo or what. Hmm. If it's in the copy, it's got to be said. It's got to be said. I think you're right to uh, do it. That's a lot of fun. I would uh, highly encourage people to come to the Minneapolis show or any of the shows on the Greatest Gen Town Tour. I'm excited to go back to Minneapolis, Ben. It's it's uh, a place with special meaning to both of us. I think that was... We had done live shows before, but that was the first really big show we ever did was in Minneapolis yeah. when we started last year's tour, so... Good yeah, feelings. This is, and this is a, a, a bigger room, so uh, we're really excited to be uh, going big in Minneapolis. Yeah. Excited to pack the house. If you'd like to send a Priority One message, you can do that very easily. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. They help... Uh, Support the production of this program. And if you'd like to buy a Priority One message for one of our remaining tour, tour stops, that's really easy to do as well. You go to greatestgencon.com, that's K-H-A-N, and click Priority One Messages. And uh, many of the shows have sold out of P1s, but they're all uh, listed on there. And uh, those messages go to support the National Center for Science Education. 100% of the proceeds get donated to the National Center for Science Education. Yeah, that's a group we care a lot about. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. 
Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, I sure did. I mean, this is a pretty self-serious episode, so I I found this moment and this Shimoda a little more difficult than usual. But my Shimoda is going to go to Kira, who is basically spent third wheeling this episode and the episode before. That's not a good situation to be in. But one moment in particular, like, paid off the idea of her as third wheel, which is... uh, Right as the change leader has said something to the effect of we value our isolation, there's a beat after that comment. And then Odo and her kind of look at Kira and then Kira kind of backs away and walks away. (laughs) This happens at, I think, 9.50 if you're looking at time code. And I really like this is this is like Nana Visitor being Nana Nana Visitor. Like she she is not ham and cheese with the facial expression. She just gives you 
just enough to understand exactly what her character is going through uh, before leaving. And this is yeah. this is like someone who I feel like is being worn down by her circumstance. <laughs> like, yeah, fun, where is she peeing? Stuff. She's obviously been there for six days. Like, can you pee on anything on this planet and not think you're peeing on someone? Maybe, maybe the uh, shuttle is just automatically beaming the pee out of her. God, that's it, isn't it? You know, one thing, one of the rules of owning an RV, Ben, is you never go number two in the RV. It's only number one. I wonder if it's the same rule oh. in a shuttle. You don't go number two in the RV? RV owners that I've spoken to have said that is a rule. That it, What do you do if you need to go number two? You pull into a McDonald's or something? Yeah, I think that's the idea. Like, you, like it is a... It's a situation that can be remedied but not fixed. Like once you start taking shit in your RV, like it's yeah. it it never quite goes away. <laughs> Do you think you can get a butt blaster that works in an RV? <laughs> or is the plumbing just so different that it wouldn't work? <laughs> I don't know if you want to shoot gray water at your butthole. <laughs> like that would be a problem. Yeah. It's a very absorbative tissue. <laughs> What about you, Ben? Who's your drunk Shimoda? Mine is uh, Dr. Bashir. And I know that this is all like uh, Matrix world, so sure. some of this stuff can be forgiven. But when uh, when they're like rescuing Cisco and they're running through the hallways and they're shooting Jim Hadars, they get to the uh, runabout and there's Chief O'Brien and he's like, he's like, you know, he's got he's got the engine idling. He's <laughs> he's ready ready to go. And uh, and they board, but he's real beat up. <laughs> his, his his lip is all swollen and shit. I mean, like, this is Star Trek. We've seen them point a ray at somebody's cut and had the cut disappear. Yeah. We know that he doesn't need to be swollen like that. What are you doing, Bashir? Why are you letting your boy suffer like that? <laughs> it's very distracting to see a character that we haven't seen for quite a while, and then we come back to him, and he's just got a totally treatable injury. You know what? This leads me to ask the question, at what point did you surmise that this was not the real world? Was that the part? I have to say, like, I think I've seen this episode before. Mm -hmm. I feel like I must have, but I didn't remember much about it. And I felt like it did a great job of kind of making, like, planting little, of planting little hints about this, but they are planted in the way that bad script writing is sometimes done on yeah. Star Trek. So it kind of felt like I, I was like, this episode is fun and awesome, but it also seems terrible. And I'm like, I'm so torn between those two judgments. And I feel like the, all of the things that made me think it might be terrible were little hints. I wonder, because the script was obviously so great and so many other so many other places, I wonder if you are cautioned to write towards lowest common denominator where these matters are concerned. Like, if you were to to do a rewrite of this script where everything had perfect verisimilitude in, in the simulation, and it right. was a total fucking surprise once the three torpedoes launched and and Kira found the Defiant crew, like... That doesn't make it a worse episode, but it may make it less fun because you haven't given the viewer a way to feel like they were smart, you know, like, right. like that's, I think that's part of 
in the intentionality of writing it this way, right? Like you yeah. want to drop little clues and sometimes those clues can be uh, overly obvious in a way that isn't fun, but but right. it's intentional, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that O'Brien having a big old bruise on his face, best case scenario, is a is a tell. Yeah. I think the tell that that made me feel uneasy throughout was how confident and happy Necheyev was throughout the ep. That yeah. felt like such a departure for her. I gotta say, uh, you can probably cut this out if you want to. Like, I found her very foxy in this episode, too, in a way that I <laughs> have not felt about her up until now. Like, she lights up a room when she's Maybe happy, Maybe it's ben. that confidence, you know? It's, yeah. uh, as we learned in Mud's Women, yeah. there's only one ki- kind of woman. <laughs> Just one kind, one kind only. <laughs> ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season three, episode three, The House of Quark. With bar business especially low, Rom complains to Quark that their only customer, a Klingon named Kozak, says he's out of money. And if that doesn't sound exciting, the Amazon description is, in order to boost his business and gain respect... Quark lies about killing a Klingon, then winds up forced to marry the dead man's widow. <laughs> this is like that Seinfeld pilot that they pitched where uh, where the judge assigns, like, the judge's punishment <laughs> is like they have to become their butler. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck kind of punishment is that? <laughs> Wow. You know what? If I had a veto, Ben, I might veto the next episode. That uh, that doesn't sound great. You don't have a veto, Adam. What we have is a game. Let's play that game. At this point, we're on square 88, Ben. Two squares away is a quarks bar. Two squares after that is a wormhole down to a quarks bar. So, yeah. So uh, Rocky another, Road ahead. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Another high... High stakes roll. And I have rolled a six, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We fragged them all. We're on square 94, I believe. Yeah, we are. That is a standard issue episode and uh, inching closer to both another wormhole and a Morn hammered. Yeah, the uh, episode. the next episode we could hit an nth degree via wormhole. Yeah, that'd be fucked up. A lot coming up, but another uh, another basic episode for you and me, and I like that. I'm into it. All right, well that will be the next one. In the meantime, if you enjoy the program and would like to do something to ensure the ongoing production of the program, there's a variety of ways you can do it. There's leaving a review in your podcatcher of choice. If you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review, that helps us an awful lot. But whatever you use to get the show, if there's a way to recommend or like the show, please do that and tell a friend. You can also go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support the show financially on an ongoing basis. And uh, that is uh, a really amazing uh, way to help us and uh, you get a bunch of free bonus content out of that deal if you support at $5 or up 
Uh, we really work hard to make great bonus episodes, and we love hearing from people about how much they love those. Real um, talk, we can't do the show without listener support, so uh, we thank all of those that support our show, and uh, yeah. and we hope if you're unable to support the show financially that uh, you're able to thank them as well. Thank a friend of DeSoto. Yeah. With all that said, we should thank Dark Materia, who created our original theme music, and... Adam Ragusea, who has made all of this great original music for our program. Uh, we got some fun Adam Ragusea projects in the works right now that I can't wait to announce. We'll see you out on tour. Check out greatestgencon.com for uh, the remaining tour dates. Plenty yeah, still of those. a whole bunch of tour dates on, on the horizon. Yeah. Hopefully we have not made the news at this point. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, you never know. And go online. Talk about the show online. Use the hashtag GreatestGen. Adam is on Twitter at CutForTime. I'm on there as at Benjamin R A H R. There's also Facebook and Reddit groups that are lively and fun places to hang out. And people aren't jerks in there. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation. Deep Space Nine that asks the immortal question, where the hell is Mourned? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.